Good evening. Once again, take your Bibles, turn to the book of Amos chapter 6. Amos chapter number 6. We're going to finish up what we started this morning. It's about 6.20. Maybe we'll have you out of here and ready to go to Golden Crowl or something. I don't know. <laughs> Half-priced milkshakes. There you go. Amos chapter 6, we looked at the first six verses this morning as we talked about the comfortable church. And uh, this evening I want us to look at the last half of this chapter, verses 7 through 14. So if you're able, let's stand as we honor the reading of God's word. And we'll begin reading with verse number 7. In Amos chapter 6, and the word says, Therefore... Now shall they go captive with the first that go captive, and the banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be removed. The Lord God has sworn by himself, saith the Lord, the God of hosts, I abhor the excellency of Jacob and hate his palaces. Therefore will I deliver up the city with all that is therein, and it shall come to pass, if there remain ten men in one house, that they shall die. And a man's uncle shall take him up. And he that burneth him to bring out the bones out of the house and shall say unto him that is by the sides of the house, Is there yet any with thee? And he shall say, No. Then shall he say, Hold thy tongue, for we may not make mention of the name of the Lord. For behold, the Lord commandeth, and he will smite the great house with breaches, and the little house with clefts. Shall horses run upon the rock? Will one plow there where ox, uh, with oxen? For ye have turned judgment into gall, and the fruit of the righteousness into hemlock. Ye have rejoiced, are ye which rejoice, and a thing of naught, which say, Have we not taken to us horns by our own strength? But behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, saith the Lord, the God of hosts, and they shall afflict you from the entering in of Hamath, Unto the river of the wilderness. Let's pray. Once again, Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you bless your word. Lord, convict hearts, draw us closer to you. Lord, forgive us of our sins, forgive us of our failures. And Lord, I pray that you are lifted up. Give me the words to say this night. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This morning, we began looking at a message titled The Comfortable Church. As we looked at the message, we, uh, in the first half of the uh, chapter, we looked at uh, some of these reasons why they had gotten so comfortable. Uh, one of them was because of their title. As you remember, they uh, looked at themselves as the chief of the nations. They uh, looked at themselves as being uh, God's chosen people, and certainly God won't do anything to afflict us if we're his chosen people. And so they were comfortable in that aspect in their title. But then also we looked a little bit further, and as they got comfortable, they also were uh, procrastinating. In verse number 3, it says, You that put far away the evil day, speaking of the day of the Lord, that day of judgment that was going to come. And they found themselves scoffing at that, mocking that day, saying that day will never come, or that day is so far off, we don't have to worry about it. And a lot of people today have that same attitude, that the day of the Lord is far off. We don't have to worry about it. But the fact of the matter is we don't know how far that day is. So it could come at any moment and the whole world stand in judgment because they have put off salvation and they have put off 
uh, working for Jesus Christ. So they procrastinated. They were self-indulgent in verses 4 through 6. It says they lie on beds of ivory, really expensive beds, uh, lying themselves on them, stretching themselves upon the couches. Talk about sprawling out. They were just so comfortable that they just sprawled out on these luxurious beds and, and beautiful couches to sit on. Eating up the, the lambs out of the flock, their, their lifestyle was a very indulgent lifestyle. Their entertainment had to do with themselves. They chanted to them uh, the sound of the violin, invented themselves instruments of music like David. So they were just uh, singing songs that were uh, in the what they thought of like David, but instead of exalting God, they exalted themselves. So as they drank their wines in bowls, a little wine glass wasn't enough for them. They had to overindulge in this area and, and fill up these, these huge bowls that might have been even used in worship services with their wines and anointing themselves with the chief ointments. But in all of this, they were indifferent. In verse number 6, it says, But they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. They could have cared less about the oppression of the poor. They could have cared less about the uh, hard times that the people around them were going through. They didn't care about the poor. They didn't care about any other person but themselves. So they were indifferent to these things. That was the comfort that was being named. They were just self-indulgent because of who they are. Thinking to themselves, God won't judge us. That day is far off anyway. We don't have anything to worry about. Look at the comfort. Look at the lifestyle that we're able to live. Look at our entertainment. Look at our our, uh, way of life and our worship and our excessiveness. So they cared less. Or they could, could not care less about anything else but themselves. And so in verses 7 through 14 we... Now we'll turn and see this comfort judged. So in verse number 7, as they are indifferent to the things of God, as they are indifferent to the uh, law of God and being obedient to Him, caring nothing about that but being comfortable in their sins, God is going to judge these people. And so it says in verse number 7, begins to speak of how they're going to be judged. In verse 7 it says, Therefore, now shall they go captive. So God's sending some people. This is a a Syrian army that's going to be coming in, ransacking the place, and taking them into captive. And they're going to go captive with the first to go captive. So God's not even going to waste any time with this captivity. Not even give them a chance to leave, but as soon as the armies come in, they're going to be the first ones taken captive. And as we think about that, isn't that what sin does? We think about the way that that sin might even creep in. Maybe Israel didn't just up and decide one day, we're just going to be some oppressive, rich snobs. But it began somewhere, and slowly over time, this stronghold got stronger and stronger and stronger. Listen to anybody that talks about uh, addiction to pornography. And they'll always say something to the effect of, well, it began with just a picture. 
just a picture of a, a, a woman. And then slowly, over a period of time, that, that picture of the woman wasn't enough, so they had to move into to videos and all this other uh, stuff that, that, that they could find. It took one little thing, and then it bloomed or snowballed into something a lot bigger than what it ever should have been. should have never even been there to begin with. But that's what it happened. It started with something small, but then over time, came. And what does it do? It took them captive. Captive by their own sin. Captive by their own lust. Captive by their own desires. Much like God's going to send this army to bring these people captive. There's a captivity that's going to be involved, but also there's a thoroughness that's going to come in verse number 8. It says, The Lord God has sworn by himself, saith the Lord, the God of hosts. Notice, the Lord has sworn by himself. Why? You know, when we uh, want to truly get the word out that we're being truthful about something, we, uh, a lot of times we want to swear by something. I can remember uh, growing up we would swear... Uh, Kid, kids would you know, say something and say, do you swear? And the other kid would say, oh yeah, I swear. And they would say, well, swear on your mama's grave. And of course, you could always tell if the other kid were lying about it because they would always say, well, I'm not swearing on my mama's grave. <laughs> but what, what the gist of it is, is they love their mom so much that if they were lying, may their mom die. Is really what that means. So they swore by the love of their mom that if they were lying that their mom uh, would die that they would never let anything hurt their mom so this lie must be true God here says I have sworn by himself he says there's no greater authority that one could swear by than God and if God had sworn by anything other than himself that could have been a sign of idolatry or something higher than him but there's nothing higher than God Amen. and so he swears by himself he's wanting people to know not only it's from the mention of the word woe in verse number one but even now he wants them to know that this is a big deal to him their sins are a big deal to him this chastisement that he's going to put them through the judgment that he's going to send them through is not a small deal this is a big deal your sin is a big deal to God. You might think you've got it all hidden. You think that you've got it all tucked away where only you and you alone know about it. God knows about it. And it's not a small deal. It's not a small price to pay. It's a big deal in the eyes of God. And so he says, I am swearing by myself. He says, look at this. Strong language is used in this one verse. He says, sworn by himself, said the Lord, the God of hosts. He says, I abhor the excellency of Jacob and hate his palaces. Man, the, Israel and Judah, they thought they had it all going. They had, I mean, they were rich and they were wealthy. Building these palaces and, and, and all this wealth and prosperity that they had. And God says, I hate this. Now, is God against wealth and uh, money? No. But the moment you stop recognizing God as a source of these things and start using them and, and, uh, and not being 
content with what you have and you start to crave more and more and more, that's when it becomes an aberration in the eyes of God. So he says, I abhor the excellency of Jacob and I hate his palaces. Therefore, would I deliver up the city? It's a thoroughness involved. He says, and it shall come to pass if there remain ten men in one house, they shall die. And a man's uncle shall take him and he that burneth them to bring out the bones out of the house and shall say unto him that is by the sides of the house, is there yet any with thee? And he shall say, no. Now, custom was that when somebody died, they didn't cremate them. They buried them. But certain instances, such as we see here, was cremation allowed. Or really, it was really more of a uh, just a, a necessity, so to speak. And so what was happening is people are dying so fast, they don't have time to bury them. That's what this is really getting at. And so so somebody would come and, 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 and they would place them on the fire to, to burn up these bodies. And it says, is there anyone in the house? And they would say, no. And then it says this. It says, then shall he say, hold thy tongue. For we may not make mention of the name of the Lord. You say, why would they say that? Here's why. They've just had gods come through and, and sweep them clean and judge them. They've seen the wrath of God. They don't want to mention his name for fear he might come back and pour out even more wrath. You know, as I think about that, think about these people that go around and they call themselves atheists. And they say they don't believe in God. But yet they have dedicated their entire lives to hating God. Let me ask you something. Should you hate something that doesn't exist? You see... People really and truly, they're, they're not atheists. They, they would be more agnostic. But what it boils down to is they have this deep-seated hatred of God because God has given them a conscience and God has given the law on their hearts and they know that they are sinners and that if they don't repent, they are bound for hell, but they love their sin so much. They do what they can to make excuses for their sin, to want to relish in their sin and not give their lives over to God. And so what they what do they do? They say, God is not real. And so they live these lives of sin. And when you mention the name of God, they hate it. Why? I believe it's because they know that judgment will eventually come to them. And when you speak the name of God, it is a constant reminder of their sinful behavior that they refuse to repent of. Verse number 11. For behold, the Lord commandeth, and he will smite the great house with breaches, and the little house with eclipses. You see the thoroughness of it? From the big house all the way to the little house. 
from the palaces to the poorhouse. Judgment is coming upon these people that refuse to repent before God. Verses 12 and 14 speaks of, 12 through 14 speaks of no blessings. In verse number 12, this question is asked. Shall horses run upon the rock? Will one plow there with oxen? Those are kind of some rhetorical questions. The, the answer would be no. You're not going to ride horses upon these rocky places. They could uh, twist their feet, twist their legs, hurt their feet, uh, do whatever. But, but it wouldn't be smart to run horses uh, on, on these rocks or, or plow with the oxen. He says, what he's getting at is, you expect God to give you blessing when there's sin in your life? Sin does not bring blessing. Sin brings judgment. And sin brings wrath. For the wages of sin is death. These people are expecting God to continue to bless them because of their uh, title and these privileges that they have had but Amos is being sure that they know God will bring no blessing upon your sin let that be a lesson to us if we are regarding sin that we refuse to repent of we can discount any blessings that might come until we get that sin right before God so it continues Speaking of this judgment, no blessings, but judgment. It says, Ye which rejoice, and a thing of naught, which say, Have we not taken to us horns? Horns would be a symbol of power by our own strength. So basically, they're, they're rejoicing in their armies, taking power from different people. And so, they, have we not taken horns or power by our own strength? So God concludes, and He says, But behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel saith the Lord, the God of hosts, and they shall afflict you from the entering in of Hamath unto the river of the wilderness. You can read about this in, I believe, in Isaiah chapter 10. Isaiah and uh, Amos were actually contemporaries. And so uh, Isaiah might have heard a lot of these sermons that uh, Amos was preaching. And he says in Isaiah chapter 10, uh, speaks of the Assyrian army. God says, I will raise up the Assyrians to basically come through and be your punishment. They're going to come through and they're going to demolish you, Israel, because of your sinfulness. As I was going through this passage and dwelling on it, one thing that kept coming to mind. Let me, let me just read a few things. Verse number four. That lie upon beds of ivory, stretch themselves out upon couches, eat the lambs of the flock. Verse 5, that chant the sound of the vial, invent themselves instruments of music like David, drink wine and bowls, anoint themselves with the chief ointments. Verse number 1 of chapter 6, they're at ease in Zion. They're comfortable because of all these things. One New Testament passage kept coming to mind. So if you want to turn there, you can. Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation chapter 3, we see these words directly from the mouth of our Lord Jesus 
to the church at Laodicea in verse number 14, Revelation chapter 3. It says, And unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation. Look what he says. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold. I would thou wert hot or cold. In other words, I wish you were one or the other. So, so then, because thou art lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Think about that. We're talking about these people that are at ease, they're comfortable. You get in, you go to the bathroom and you turn the, the water on, you turn it on. Let's say you, you turn it on really cold, you're going to put your foot in there and you're going to jump back and say, ooh, that's cold. Or you turn it on really steaming hot, then you put your foot in there and you go, ooh, that's hot. But you put it right there in the middle, and just like Goldilocks and the three bears, you put your foot and say, ooh, that's just right. What is it? It's not hot, and it's not cold. It's lukewarm. The church is Laodicea. They had the same problem Israel and Judah was facing back thousands of years before. They weren't hot or cold. They were lukewarm. They were comfortable. And look what Jesus says to the church. He says, because thou sayest, look, look at this. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Doesn't that sound like we've, what we've been reading about in the book of Amos? They're rich and they have no need of anything. He reminds them, Knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thy eyes with thyself that thou mayest see. Verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. That's just what he's doing to Israel. For the same reason. Be zealous therefore and repent. This is the same message that even Isaiah had. Remember I said Isaiah and Amos were contemporaries in Isaiah chapter 55. It says, Ho everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye, eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. He's calling this nation that thinks that they're wealthy because of their material things. He says, you're buying and you're getting your goods, quote unquote, from the wrong place. He says, you're not relying on me. You need to rely on me. You need to rely on God. It's the same message Isaiah had. It's the same message 
Amos had. And it's the same message that Jesus has to these Christians and churches and so-called people of God that are making themselves comfortable and refusing to acknowledge that there is a God that they need to be serving. God doesn't want his people to be comfortable. God want his, wants his people to be ready to stand and do what he has called them to do. As a just a little illustration come to mind. Might not be everybody's sense of humor, but I like I used to I used to like Seinfeld when it was on. And I remember there was one episode of Seinfeld where uh uh, what's his name? George. He uh, went into a, I believe it was a bank or a jewelry store or something, and there was a police officer in there. And uh, he got up, went up to him. And he said, "How come you, you don't have a chair?" And the guy said, "He said I don't want a chair. He said I don't need one." He said, "Well, have you ever asked for a chair?" He said, "No." He said, "He's okay." So he leaves and he uh, he comes back and he brings him a rocking chair to sit down in. And and he he says he says what is this he says he says relax he said I talked it over with the manager which he didn't he said but you can have this chair make yourself at home and so the guy sits down in the chair he's like man this is nice this is comfortable and so he's sitting in his rocking chair and he's and he loves it and then later on uh, at the end of the show there's a robbery going on inside this built inside this building inside this bank and uh, the police are are the uh, Burglars are, are robbing it, and they, they're running out the door, and it, and it pans over to the police officer, and he's sitting in that rocking chair asleep. You see where I'm going with this? When the enemy comes, we don't need to be too comfortable that we don't recognize when he comes. We need to always be ready. We need to be always on guard. To stand and fight for the living God that has saved us from our sins. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we bow before you this night thanking you once again for your word. Thank you for joining us for our broadcast. I hope you'll join us again next time with Rick Clark Ministries.